0: It's a little-known fact that Cheerscast is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network.
1: Excuse me, my name's Woody Boyd. Woody? Hi, I'm Sam Malone. Howdy. I'm a friend of Coach's. Is he around? I'm sorry, Woody. I guess you hadn't heard.
0: No, uh, Coach passed away a couple months ago. But yeah, I'd like to
1: think he's still around. Coach gone. I, I can't hardly believe it. He had a lot of friends. I don't, I don't remember him mentioning a Woody. Well, we never met. We were kind of like pen pals. You you exchanged letters? No, pens. It was it was Coach's idea.
0: Oh well. I, I
1: Hello and welcome to a new season of Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me for the first episode of Season 4 is returning guest and good friend, Omar Yudin. What's up, Omar? Hey, Ryan.
0: Hey, Cheers fans. Good to be here for uh, a pretty a pretty exciting episode. And I think one of the, the highlights in terms of the season premiere is all the season premieres they had.
1: Yeah, well, th- this one is a big one for for a notable reason that we'll get to. Um, and uh, God, it's it, uh, for one thing, for those of you listening who have been following along, I I say this every time, but I apologize for the longer than I intended hiatus between the end of season three and this one. Um, some of it was just recharging my batteries. Some of them was due to a, a personal back injury that made me not want to sit down in front of a computer and talk for a long time. But yeah, we're back, and boy, the the sort of landscape. Of everything has is, is been shifting. Uh, Omar, as I just mentioned, probably the next time I talk to you might actually be in person and we can actually sit up at a bar and get a drink or something and have a discussion next time.
0: A live podcast in person uh, instead of the Skype Zoom thing. It's very exciting. That
1: would be nuts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're kicking off the fourth season of Cheers, and this one has kind of a significant sea changes for the show because we get our first real cast member change in the series. We have had additions to the cast. As everybody knows, obviously, Cliff became a series regular starting in season two, which doesn't feel as momentous because he was there from the beginning and he was in all but one episode of the first season and then in season 3 we get the addition of Dr. Fraser Crane who appeared in like a third of the episodes from last season and he is not going away but as, not in the opening credits yet right 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 uh yeah still not uh, still not a series regular not in the credits yet but as viewers and listeners are aware we lost somebody at the end of season 3 Nick Calisanto, who played Coach, passed away, and he didn't appear in most of the last six or seven episodes of the season. But they didn't address the fact that the actor or the character died last season. They just made up excuses for Coach not to be there, or they just didn't talk about it at all. With this season, they finally address it directly, and they introduce Coach's replacement in the cast, a fresh-faced bartender played by then-fresh-faced actor Woody Harrelson. According to IMDb, Harrelson has one credit before Cheers, and it's an uncredited extra part. So this really is his debut in film and TV. What do you think about that? When I first learned that fact,
0: it was kind of stunning. But when you actually go and double-check on Woody Harrelson's age at the time, you're talking about a 23, 24 year old guy. So it kind of logically makes sense that he doesn't have much in the way of a resume, CV, um, and acting experience. But like, what's stunning to me is by this point, like Cheers is has risen sharply in the ratings. It's not like some peripheral player um, or, or waiting out, you know, to potentially be canceled like in season one. So like, it's got, it's got a A lot of popularity. It's got a lot of cachet. So I can only imagine that the prospect of replacing a main character in terms of like the the, the casting process, I I imagine that's a pretty hot ticket. I imagine that, you know, the producers might have their pick of the litter in terms of emerging young actors. And to pick someone not relatively unknown, completely unknown, and like so fresh faced, I mean, it's a double edged sword potentially, right? Because on the one hand, You can you have some you know an actor completely moldable. The producers can sort of shape it however they want. But on the other hand, it's like you have an audience that probably might have expectations and hopes and fears and that kind of thing. Um, And you 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 know you risk letting down uh, a substantial number of viewers. So it makes sense, but at the same time, in retrospect, it's a hell of a risk. So to take this guy from you know I say Hanover, Indiana, because that's not just the character. I think the actor is an indiana native that no one had ever seen before in retrospect it's a it's a heck of a risk
1: mhm yeah and and kind of getting into the whole the, as you mentioned like the ratings of it and the way it had climbed in in stature with like the critics and the audiences going back to when we first started this podcast and you were on the first episode we talked about how this was dead last in the ratings. Like Nobody was paying attention to the show, and it was just by the grace of the president of NBC who claims that his wife liked the show and wouldn't let him him cancel it, that they stuck with it, and they stuck with their guns. In Season 3, they finally kind of cracked the formula for their must-see Thursdays before it was even so-called must-see Thursday when they got Love it or hate it, the Cosby Show as their lead-in with the with the eight o'clock Eastern Time slot, followed by Family Ties, and then Cheers, and then Night Court, and then Hill Street Blues. That became their like kind of defining thing. So it had been established, but yeah, from going last in the ratings when it premiered, uh, for this episode, the beginning of season four, it's now a top five show for the week. Yeah, pretty pretty impressive.
0: Absolutely, yeah. you know, just and, and just part of like a a murderer's row. Of shows that at the time, you know, I'm sure people just kind of took for granted. Oh, these are the shows that are on. It's, it's something we're looking forward to. But just in retrospect, it's just incredibly historical. Mm-hmm. Um, like that amount of talent, like in one night, it's, it's, it kind of boggles the mind. But yeah, like so when you think about that casting decision, it's like, you know what? They have a lot of power and a lot of responsibility. And to turn to, you know, a, a literal neophyte is kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's shocking that they went for it. Uh, but it's also shocking that it turned out as well as it did.
1: Yeah. What did you think? Because we haven't talked about this, and it's been a while since you were on the show. What did you think about Coach as a character in general, and then his his passing, his untimely death, and and the way they kind of just took the character off the board at the end of season three?
0: Sure. Like, I mean, I, I, this is a huge loss. I mean, it, it is lost to the. Creative spirit of the show. Um this is one of my personal favorite characters, not because there's anything super unique or distinctive. I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know how common or uncommon the the kind of dopey simple archetype of a character is, but I just I just can't imagine it's it's you know, it's it's too isolated, right? It's just it's an easy one in a group dynamic to have. But there was something so Essential and sweet about Colasanto's character and about the way he, you know, sort of infused the character with his humanity that um, I really grew to be incredibly fond of. I mean, some of my only Ted Danson and Shelley Long could alternately do sappy comedy and and quiet seriousness in this show as well as Nick Colasanto, and so you know he had me from the get-go in the pilot. You know, when he was sort of picking up the phone when he was like claiming to hear ringing in his ears or but at the same time, he could also get me like in the beginning of season three when he went to Diane to talk about how Sam had fallen off the wagon. Mm -hmm. And you could just kind of hear the despair in his voice or you could hear the despair and sadness and heartbreak in his voice when. You know, he would go to his daughter um, when she was wanted to marry that jerk in season one or two. Yeah, I can't remember one. Um, and and he you know, he realizes that she convinced she's convinced she's not good enough for anyone. He was a masterful actor and he died very young. He was 63. And I, and I know, in, you know, I guess in, in 1984 or whatever, 63 was considered old. Sixty-three does not seem that old now. Um, So in retrospect, it's a huge loss. I think it's also a huge loss in terms of the dynamic of the cast because I think he was the only one that Shelley Long really got along with. Um, And so, yeah, I think there was something irretrievably lost when he left. And we'll talk about it, but I, I do think that the casting of Woody Harrelson and the injection of a character like Woody Boyd was as close as they were ever going to get to sort of you know, infusing that same spirit and being able to sort of pick up without any kind of creative hitches, but I do think that there was an essential sweetness to the show that was just kind of permanently lost
1: yeah i agree and and as i I talk about this on a couple of episodes at the end of season three. They never addressed it in story. They just for a while they were just making up reasons why he wasn't at the bar that day, and then they just kind of stopped. And I think it was they—they they were sort of stuck in not wanting to deal with something as heavy as the character's death. And the reason because the for that, news
0: breaks right, like everyone knows what happened even back in nineteen eighty four. Like it hits the it hits the news. Guy, like, everybody knew it. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, it gets so awkward, right? You have mm-hmm. the history of. You know, television shows dealing with characters' deaths. Right. You know, we, we've seen it countless times.
1: Mm-hmm. This one, I mean, they because Shelley Long got pregnant during the season, yes. and they were doing everything they could to hide it for the longest time, they ended up contriving this whole thing where she leaves Boston. She goes to Europe with Frasier yep. in order to yep. keep her out of scenes to hide the pregnancy and, and yep. kind of play along. And they actually filmed a lot of the last half of the series out of order and kind of isolated her and did some things before that. So so when he dies, they like they, they're kind of stuck. They can't have Diane leaving Sam and leaving the bar perhaps forever to go and marry somebody else. And the secondary blow of their best friend in the whole world, Coach, dying at the same time—that would like completely derail the, the plans and everything like that. It sounds like Di- Diane are- wouldn't leave Fraser at that, or she wouldn't leave Sam at that moment that, when Coach is dead. Um, It sounds like you're suggesting
0: that if they had not had to work on that dynamic of covering up Shelley Long's pregnancy by sending Diane away, like if they had not had to do all of that, make all of those accommodations, you think there is a greater, a much greater likelihood that they would have directly addressed Coaches passing head on at the
1: time? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm sure they would. Like, she wouldn't okay. have gone to Europe. Like, they, they could have done something else with her and Frazier. They, they probably were still building it. I think they were still going to build it to the point where she might be marrying Frazier at the end of it, but it wouldn't have been this odyssey, like, out, like, across the Atlantic Ocean and, like, something else where she's, like, physically removed from the set so that they can, you know, like, film her just from, like, the head, the, the shoulders up or something like that.
0: It certainly served the purposes of the story and mm-hmm. where. The- that dynamic was going, and it injected a lot of excitement and anticipation into the end of season three and beginning of season four. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the passing of Colosanto um, just made so much of that. I'm not going to say anticlimactic because you're still invested in that storyline. But like, it's this other shoe that drops. Mm-hmm. And I look, I have gone through you know many mood changes over the years is, in terms of how I felt about it. I think it got a raw deal. I mean, I think the producers gave it a raw deal. The, 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 the passing of, of Nicola Santo and the departure of coach as a result of that. Um, I don't think they, it was properly. I don't think it was properly handled on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm sort of sympathetic to the dynamic. And I will say that the little, and I'm sure you guys talked about this or hinted about it in the previous episode, but like the, the little tribute they had with the outtake of him, um, from the, the season finale of season three was nice and touching and yet completely inadequate to, uh, and it was not up to the task of just addressing like a, a major plot point
1: yeah I'm, I'm with you there and I think I said as much that I don't like the way it was handled but I also don't know if there was a better way of handling it given the situation given what else they had to deal with um, because of where Shelley Long was and what they had decided to do with yeah. the character beforehand so yeah now, with, with that in mind, we finally get to address address these things and uh, pick up from that with Season 4, Episode 1, titled Birth, Death, Love, and Rice, written by Heidi Perlman at this point. Um, she's kind of like one of the, the co-executive producers and showrunners for this season. She's actually uh, one of the producers for Season 4 and writes a good chunk of episodes here. Uh, Directed by Jim Burroughs, of course, the original air date was Thursday, September 26th, 1985. Three days after leaving for Italy, Sam returns to Cheers, having failed to stop the wedding of Diane and Frazier because he got arrested. Barely surviving the trauma of the Italian legal system, Sam swears off caring for or thinking about Diane ever again. Months later, he finds out the wedding never took place anyway when Frazier comes to cheers and tells Sam that Diane left him at the altar. While Frazier spiraled into a bleak depression, Diane embraced a wild hedonistic lifestyle, but now works at a convent outside Boston. Against Fraser's wishes, Sam goes to the convent to see Diane. He asks her to come back to Cheers as a friend, not a lover. But it doesn't take more than a few minutes together for their sexual tension to resume. Diane rejects his offer, telling him her place is there at the convent. When he leaves, she discusses the matter with one of the nuns and prays to God for guidance. Just as she's asking for a sign, Sam comes back, looking for a bathroom." In this episode's subplot, fresh-faced Indiana farm boy Woody Boyd, played by Woody Harrelson as we said, making his first appearance as a regular on the series, comes to Cheers looking for Coach. Sam tells Woody that Coach died recently, our first acknowledgement of this sad fact in the show since the death of actor Nicholas Calasanto last season. Woody tells Sam that he used to tend bar back in Indiana, and Sam gives him a job at Cheers. Woody's boundless energy and enthusiasm are obvious, as is, shall we say, his naivety when it comes to life in the big city. All right, that was the season premiere. What did you think, Omar?
0: I thought it was pretty outstanding. You know, and in going through sort of the the rolodex and memory of all the the eleven season premieres, I think only the pilot is as good, if not better. Um, I don't think there's another season opening that kind of crackles with this type of energy and anticipation. Um, I, I, so much of it is just so perfect, and it, it sort of embodies where we are in the series. Like The fact that like there's still so much creative life left. They've only scratched the surface of where things stand. And they're at such a pivotal plot point um, in the overall arc of the story. Um, but they – but we were familiar enough with the characters to sort of settle in like a comfortable shoe and – but they're still showing us new things. Like just – I – the one word I kept writing down when rewatching this was energy. Um, the energy that, that you see in like Ted Danson like bursting through the door <laughs> in the pilot – sorry, in the teaser – Where just, and the expression on his face as he's just recounting the innumerous indignities that were visited upon him. Just the physicality of him like throwing off his jacket and telling, and telling Cliff to shut up. (laughs) And just the, 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 just the, the 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 clippy method in which what he he goes through and, and recounts like being bought and sold <laughs> <laughs> as a means of getting out of prison, and the expression on his face, and then like the just the amazing way he just like chases out whoever was asking, uh, "Wait, who's Diane?" Yeah. After saying, "I don't want to hear that name ever again," just absolutely beautiful. And you combine that with the the fun dynamic of this new character. Um, who comes in and immediately feels like an organic part of the cast, but is also, like, separate and apart and new, it's very nice. And all building up to the anticipation of seeing, you know, uh, Sam and Diane reunited again. Like, I don't think there was a missed moment in this episode. Like, it was... I were able to, like, cram in all of that in 22 minutes. Like, the introduction of a new character and sort of having him, you know, um, integrated with with the rest of the bar, particularly Sam, um, together, combining that with trying to figure out the fallout from, from Sam impulsively deciding to go over to, to, to Europe to stop this wedding, as well as the anticipation of seeing him and Diane again together. I, it it just crackled with energy.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and like the yeah the organization of it because yeah we leave on this cliffhanger like this huge thing where they you know she's about to get married but she's not getting married at the place where they thought they were going to get married. Sam is off to rush to, to to stop her. We last see him on an airplane actually going there, but is he going to the wrong location? It's like this is a big high, high stakes thing. What's going to happen? And we come back. It's like it did not play out the way you thought. It was not a dramatic thing. He you right. He throws his jacket down and he is just. Like, like furious, like so furious that he has to kind of like la to chuckle to himself to keep from screaming, and he's like talks about like how he thought they were at the Marino Estate, so he jumped the fence and landed in a pack of snarling Rottweilers. And, and <laughs> it's right. a great bit of acting. Oh it's yeah, yeah, and, and Cliff is like, oh yeah, Rottweilers from the German word. It seems like Cliff, shut up. I love that. And then it talks about how he, like, jumped into a moat to escape the dogs, and then they, the police fished him out, and he was taken to jail. And then you write, like, a wealthy landowner whose ox died purchased Sam. And it's, oh, it's great, yeah. Um, so right with that, they kind of, like, deal with, okay, well, that was the cliffhanger. He didn't stop the wedding. And then, like beat by beat, okay, we're gonna introduce Woody, the new replacement for Coach. Then we're gonna bring Fraser back, and he's gonna he's gonna basically clarify what happened at the end that the wedding didn't didn't take place. And then we don't see Diane until the second act of the show, and it's complete it's outside of Cheers that whole second act. So, yeah, like structurally, like it's a, it's an interesting episode, but they keep doing these things just to for that energy that you were discussing is really really good. So.
0: Yeah, no, a- absolutely. Um, I, it's just stunning to me. Like I said, 22 minutes, and you're fitting in, like, continuation of an important existing plot line mm-hmm. with, you know, unfortunately dispensing with Coach's character in, you know, not necessarily the the best or most illuminating way, just kind of g- giving it, like, a couple lines, like, hiss off. But, like, introducing Woody and, like, incorporating him into the cast, like, just that th- they accomplished all of that in such a short – tight time frame is pretty stunning. Now, I think the flip side of this is, like, our regulars, like, people like Carla and Cliff and Norm, uh, other than Norm's, like, rather amusing part where uh, (laughs) (laughs) he announced that Barry had decided to, uh, he could stop trying to get her pregnant and accept he he didn't, uh, he didn't actually announce this at the beginning of uh, of said announcement. So everyone assumed that uh, his announcement was that uh, he was going, he was having a baby and they were popping out the cigars and the champagne. And when he clarified that, no, your ex, I'm sorry, I can see how that was confusing. <laughs> she just announced that I could stop trying to get her pregnant. Like, that was, the, I mean, that was, and that was a lovely moment. It was vintage norm. It was, I felt like it was a, it was a taste that the audience uh, had been waiting uh, over the summer to it, get it was, acquainted with it, their characters.
1: But it was also sort of like cleaning up a a plot that was just kind of like never ending and dangling from the last season, Where the last season sure. started with him saying like that they were trying to get pregnant and it was just it never went anywhere. And it's like Norm's not a father; you don't <laughs> you're not going to do anything with this. So that's like, you know get rid of this. Yeah. One, so. But
0: aside from that, you know, because there's so much focus on. Sam, Diane, Frazier, and Woody on this. Mm -hmm. You know, you barely see Carla and Cliff and Norm, but for that one scene. Um, But again, that's your only flip... If that's your only flip side, like, you're doing okay.
1: Right, right. So then, yeah, right after that we do get our introduction of Woody walking through the door, and we kind of... There's a sort of on the meta-contextual meta level, there's like three entrances in this. There's Woody's entrance into the episode, his entrance into the bar, and then his entrance into the series, kind of all in one. I do think, you know, he, he's not in the teaser, and he's not, but, you know, they they have that, and then they have the little scene with Norm at the beginning, and it feels like they're giving us a couple of minutes to the audience to get settled and get familiar with the characters again. And sort of everything is sort of the status quo where we left it a couple of months ago before we see woody you know walk through the door and his appearance also gives sam the excuse to tell the audience what happened to coach and you're right it's it's very vague he just says he passed away but i like to think he's still here and that's really all they do with i think i think in the rest of the series they only directly reference coach two or three more times um, well, well, I mean, once in this episode when he, Sam and Diane talk about it. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. After this one. Yeah. So, yeah, it's they don't have like a funeral episode or, or a remembrance episode. It really is kind of like for whatever reason they've decided they're just going to move on and they're going to push forward. Um, but yeah, I think kind of getting to what you were saying, the type of character that Coach was – is he was very innocent, and yes, like Woody is significantly younger. He's you know forty years younger in age, but Calisanto played Coach as a child, like a child very much. Yes. He, he had that very childlike innocence and the way he took things literally and did not judge things like that. Woody brings that same capacity to the role. So even though they have very different life experiences and he's very he's a much younger character as we will see, he gets to play the similar role that coach played for the other characters and and a sounding board in that venue for comedy and for dialogue
0: and you know, and a you know we're projecting out because he is there's a lot of time for him to you know sort of grow into this. but it's just important to note the same a same but dissimilar connection to Sam as coach from the standpoint of Sam and coach are like mentor and mentee, but I feel like Like, Woody's a a younger brother, Mm -hmm. and there's, again, you go back to energy, it's just, like, you see the landscape of possibilities of, like, goofy adventures they could get into, and a kind of, like, masculine, I don't want to say rival, because they don't directly compete a lot, although they do occasionally in the years to come. Yeah, but, like, a, a counterpart to Sam in a way that, like, Norm and Cliff and Frasier just by way of general disposition are never going to be.
1: Right, right. He kind of gives us something like Sam could mold Woody in his image if he wanted to.
0: Yeah, like the expression on Ted Danson's face when Woody Harrelson, like when Woody jumps the bar, like mm-hmm. leaps into the bar, and he just like he's taken aback at the kind of like the youthful exuberance and the energy and the strength and everything. And just I look at that, I mean, I might be reading too much into it, but that look is just like it's a combination of like, Shock and surprise at the presumption, and like bemusement, and uh, and a little bit of wariness. But like I don't know, it's just kind of like the beginning of a little narrative adventure. It's it's, it's very cool, and it, a counterbalance to you know a really sad, uh, thankless situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Woody, as we said, he's he comes he's wearing a suit jacket this time. He says he's come to Boston on a fact finding mission. Um he says he tells him that he wrote letters to all of the big city bars looking for work and coach he liked Coach immediately because Coach was the only one who responded. Um and is a little gig. He says they became pen pals. Not exchanging letters, but actual pens. And Sam- that
0: reminded me of when Coach in the beginning was talking about how his nickname
1: was Red,
0: <laughs> yeah. um, and, and and people assumed it's because he had red hair. And he said, "No, it's because I, I read a book." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah, and when he says we exchanged pens, like there's this look on Sam's face, like, "Wait, what?" And then he and what he says, it was Coach's idea, and Sam's kind of like, "Oh, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense." <laughs> like, so. Uh, and then, of course, like Woody calls Carla man, which she's like, what the heck is that supposed to mean? He's like, I think it's a term of respect. And she's like, that's how it's so weird. I've never heard it before. So, yeah, he he's so kind of fresh-faced and innocent that she's like – that Carla actually says we better keep him. I don't think he would survive on the streets.
0: Well, and it's really funny, right? Because like when you see – with Carla in particular, it's like you see the fangs come out. For like newcomers like Diane and Frazier, who are so starkly different, mm-hmm. um, really the, the people she seems to have the most fondness for are Coach Sam and Norm. But like you know, getting to know Carla the first couple of years, you would just think that she would just be like Woody would be like you know just putty in her hands. Like you could just kind of see one way she could go, where just, she could just kind of make this naive guy's life uh, a living hell. But, like, she immediately takes to him. Just when, you know, when she looks at Sam, she's like, I think we better keep, you know, keep him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's nice, and it establishes a dynamic where she's not a jerk to him and, like, they're allies in a way.
1: Mm-hmm. You also kind of get the sense, like, if Carla is going to accept him, the audience can. Like, yeah. Like if she if she's willing to open up to this, like if if there was going to be a barrier and judgment from the audience, like no, this this is this isn't the replacement for coach that we want or that we will accept. If Carla is open to him, then it's like yeah, okay, this this kid is special.
0: So. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's a really good narrative choice.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, he does his whole spiel where he meets Norman Cliff for the first time and talks about how, you know, why, why you know, study mixology just to pull out Tavern or whatever and pour beer. I can make anything. I've studied all these things. And, of course, you know where this joke is coming a mile in advance because, you know, the only thing that Norman Cliff ever drink is just beer. So that's what they ask for. And it's kind of like, yep, welcome to the world, Woody. They telegraphed it,
0: and yet it was still so
1: satisfying. Yeah. I love Coach and being able to revisit this series again for the 15th time for the podcast. Like, there's so many things where, like, Coach's performance and his uh, presence on the show is magical, um, to be that type of like rock when it comes to a supporting character. And yet, and I feel like I, I might, I might have to defend this, uh, this statement a couple of times throughout this series. I think Woody is a better character because of, the, well, the longevity. I mean, uh, Woody is there for eight years. Coach was there for two and a half. You get more with Woody, and also Coach was, Coach was a fully formed and fully defined character from the beginning. You know, the coach that we meet in the pilot episode is not different than the coach we see in his last episode. We we see a lot of evolution of, for Woody throughout the course of his time. And, and just, like, in terms of relationships and characteristics and things like that, and just the more time we spend. And I think Woody... Coach could never be more than a supporting character. And I think Woody could step up and be a lead if needed to be. Um, well, you can't
0: do hijinks with Coach, right? Like, there's yeah. a... a there's a a element where coach is coach he's fully formed as you indicated, but also just by virtue of both disposition and age, it's like he's not going to get do a lot of shenanigans with the with the crew and and again, toward the end of the Shelley long era and in the six years after she left, as it became more of a broad workplace comedy, um you had more and more of the characters kind of spinning off and doing. Uh, fun, wild things together, and that just was never going to be um, the Colosanto character. So I, I think the, Woody's youth and you know, sort of, sort of energy open up a, a window of possibility. So it's it's kind of inevitable that you get to sort of see a character richly grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily. Th- it's hard to co- directly compare. I totally understand why one character you might seem might seem more enjoyable, and you know, might seem more moldable. Um, I, I enjoy them very much in very different ways. I think that their characters were honored in, uh, and, and taken to their nth degree in very different ways, but coach was never going to kind of go out with the boys. Um, and I think that's what, that's what kind of pushes the Woody experience over the
1: top. All right, then we get Fraser come back in this episode, um, and talk about like another entrance. He comes in, and and it's it's a little bit more understated because like, and, and Norm like, "Hey, is that you know Fraser Crane?" And they talk about it, and Norm's like, "Yeah, we got a lot of catching up to do. What's new?" And Fraser just very bitterly, "I couldn't even begin to tell you." And Norm's like, yeah, "That's even better." <laughs> <laughs> just and, and you know,
0: I, I take for granted by this point because it's been a year at how smoothly and how well Kelsey Grammer is now integrated with, like, the rest of the cast. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, seeing him, again, you know, it's just, like, it's old hat in just, like, the best possible way. But just his, it's a very different entrance from Sam because Sam's coming and, like, like, bursts into the door and is just, like, physically, like, over the edge and, like we said, like, yanking off the coat and throwing it down. But, like, the fact that Fraser comes in just, like, embittered, It's just – it's very funny because it's performed very well, but it's also a very funny, like, you know, reminder of the various ways in which Diane Chambers can mess people up. Yeah.
1: Yes, as as we'll see, um, and yet you're you're right. Like I mean, at this point he, now he has pretty much a season under his belt, but he's not a regular member of the cast. Like he's still coming in as a as a guest performer. Um, and the last time this guy they saw this guy they saw him like months ago when he was leaving to go to Europe to to teach and taking Diane away from him. So I'm sure th- they're like we never thought we would see him again. Like you know, let alone Sam and Diane or anything. So and he you know he he feels very bitter as. He's addressing Woody and everything like that, and just getting a, a called him a punk, which I love. <laughs> yeah, he goes into to Sam's office and everything, and Sam like visibly reacts. He's like, is, "Is Diane with you?" He's like, "No," and he tells him how she left him at the altar and everything. And, and Fraser just goes on this whole thing about how miserable and pathetic his life has become, and the sto- that the story of his rejection spread all across Europe. <laughs> What? The like, soccer team. <laughs> yeah. The, the university knew about it and then it spread so far. It's like, when a soccer player misses and kick, kicks the ball and falls down, it's now called a Frazier. And if he knocks himself unconscious it's doing so, it's uh, called a Frazier crane. <laughs> like, it's
0: just, it sets into motion the transformation of, Fra- I mean, Frazier on the show is always you know, uh, an intellectual, ethete, snobby, that kind of thing. But yeah. like, you know, that first year it's like, yes, he is pompous and intellectual and a feat, but he is, objectively speaking, in a higher and better station than the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. And what I love is with the beginning of season four as evidence with this episode, there is a bitterness that has been infused into the Fraser character and a despondency. That like never really completely goes away <laughs> for the remaining like you know seven seasons or eight seasons or whatever, um, and and where you sort of start to see how organic it is that he just ends up being pulled down to the level of everyone else and cheers of the customers <laughs> and cheers. It's like that one season, season three, when he was introduced, it was just like, oh my god, this amazing person with this amazing job who was like swept Diane off her feet. This is like aspirational, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is this big separation between him and, like, you know, the cliffs and the norms at all. But, like, I feel like with this episode, you start to see the descent of Fraser Crane, <laughs> where he's never really truly this, like, ever separate and apart from these people. At best, he's, like, on their level.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we see it going forward in future episodes where he's, like really, like, you know, not, not superior to them, even in, in his line of work and everything like yeah. that. And, but, yeah, like, this is where we see, like, I mean, he, he comes back to to challenge Sam and everything like that, and he, he still, he knows these guys by name and everything, and we're going to see that, yeah, he quickly, he just, he becomes one of them. Like, as as I told you, as I've mentioned, like, Cheers is a gravity well that pulls everybody down. <laughs>
0: yeah. it's, it's it, No, it's, it's stunning. And, like, when they're in the office, and again, like acting clinic, uh, you know, and as great as Ted Danson is, and he's outstanding, like Kelsey Grammer in these scenes is just is matching him. And that moment, I mean, again, the two moments that stick out for me, again, where, you know, he had never met Woody, and Woody's trying to banter with him, and Frazier just cuts him off with a just give me a whiskey punk, um, <laughs> is, is amazing. But also, like, when he tur- pulls the gun on Sam, like, for those two seconds, when you know for the first 2 seconds before sam like points out that it's not loaded it is a truly dark and terrifying moment yeah. um it just really like alters the gravity of the whole situation but of course it's completely underdone by sam just being like yeah your yeah, your your thing isn't loaded uh and it's not because i know everything Fraser. it's because it's not i can see the things are empty the, you can see the are, little empty. Holes are empty yeah. yeah oh so great
1: Yeah, no, because I love that, because Frazier's just like, oh, of course I'm not, the gun isn't loaded. You know that, because Frazier would never be a serious threat to you. He was never a threat to Diane, right? I'm so pathetic. He's like, now the little holes are empty. And (laughs) Fraser just has to look and confirm. He's like, damn it. He's like, once again, you've outdone me. Yeah.
0: But, well, you know what I, again, it's a wonderful scene, and it sort of establishes. A bro-y intimacy between the two of them. This like this shared understanding of the hell they had each been through, mm-hmm. in, like the pursuit of of this woman. And so it's poignant uh, a couple times when Frazier like pleads with with uh, with Sam not to go not to see Diane, and, and sure, you can talk about you know what Diane's been up to. But also before he leaves, just with this flippant, "Let's do lunch sometime." <laughs> just you know a couple minutes after like threatening his life. Just wonderful. It it just it just goes to show, you know how you can never really be mad at Sam Malone.
1: No, no, and he's he's not. He he says you're still my goomba. It's like these these two guys are strangely really good friends, and they have this kind of this this love and affection for each other. And you're right, like it's part. So much of it is just this this shared. Like union over Diane, and the fact that be, because she led both of them to such a ruin at different times, they're like war buddies. Like they've like they've yeah. they've been to to hell or something like that together, and they kind of know that they have that shared. Um, yeah, I just before like a few little uh, little callbacks that you mentioned. When first, like if you, if you'd never seen Diane before, I just like the the fact that when when saying that Diane is at Saint Anselm's Abbey with the Sisters of the Divine Severity. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that name the d- divine severity of course yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and Fraser just says that this is what he had heard from uh, I like the callback from his mentor Dr. Bennett Ludlow whose care yeah. I am now under by the way <laughs> <laughs> the, that's a callback to to um, Dr. Ludlow who was in the previous season who ended up actually fathering Carla's sixth child and, yep. yeah so yes, yeah, so then we come to the second act, and we see we're in the Abbey now, and Diane is working as a volunteer, um, and and when Sam kind of like goes in there and sneaks up on her, and she screams at first, and when she gets her composure back, she goes, "What the heck?" <laughs> like doesn't want to say hell in the Abbey.
0: That scene, and you know what we can go over it uh, a little more in depth, but what I will say is the, I mean, okay, you're talking about a much anticipated scene for mm. you know the majority of the viewing audience because they. They want to sort of find out the fallout of what's going on. You know, one thing I've always that's been my hobby horse for, you know, almost a couple decades now in reviewing the show is just like just the enormity of Shelley Long's talent um, as a comic actor. And like just the first like minute or two of that scene of like the quiet, um, the the. The opening, that opening scene with Diane in the convent—it's just like a masterful bit of like quiet physical acting by Shelley Long. Mm-hmm. Like just the going through the motions, keeping quiet, and then like the expression on her face when she see when she sees Sam, and then like bam, we're on again. It's it's just fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. Just like the the staging of that, it feels very theatrical. Like you'd see that in a play. Like that was like it just yes. felt like that's the, the blocking, way it was written. It, that's the way it was staged. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so, like, we can have very big, big physical acting to convey because she's not using dialogue because so much of it is silent when she's with the other nuns and everything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, Sam asks her to come back, and and he mentioned that. How does he put it? He's like, when I heard that you were in here, I thought you'd gone all squirrely again.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, she says that, and, like, I thought in that moment, you know, the way she went quickly from screaming at seeing Sam to just smiling – At him when he just goes off on his sort of like goofy, you know, rants or statements or says illogical stuff. It just kind of it's this quiet smiling that kind of represents the sort of chemistry that's priceless. I mean, you know, the the important thing to remember is everyone has sort of grown and matured into the I guess mature is the wrong word with these two. But like we've grown into this relationship. Right. You know, you can only get so much mileage out of the will they or won't they, Um, you know, the, the raw sort of romantic sexual tension between two leads in in a series. Like, at some point, like, that runs its course in a normal in a normal show, right? So, like, the first year, it's, like, this whole, like, will they or won't they? Look at these differences. Oh, my God. They're so distinct, but we really want them to get together. And then it's, like, navigating the relationship in season two. By now, you would think ordinarily it's, like, we're so over this. We're so past this. Um, it, it could be exhausting, whatever, with most couples. But with these two, there's just this incredible fascination and now we've gone from not just sort of like recognizing the raw physical chemistry that they have, this actual connection, but like there's also tenderness. Mm-hmm. like by this point, at least you know I don't want to speak for anyone else but like I'm looking at two characters that are in love with each other and it's all and it's also very complicated right There's like a mix of history and like anger and rage and passion. But like the way she and, and they've been through so much, especially right now, going through this last like climactic thing where he makes this grand gesture to go and, and, and break up this wedding. And just it's nice to see the easy, quiet chemistry they have with each other. And I would you know, and I would just sort of put in also a plug, you know, going back to coach, when she expresses her condolences and her sadness over Coach's loss and they have that quiet moment over that. It's, just, it's really nice, and it's really earned. It's really nice for all three of those characters, including Coach, that, like, that's the closest they can come to closure. And, like, I, I honestly would have felt really robbed. I mean, for as, as sad as I was that he died and, like, he wasn't a part of the show and that they kind of gone out, oh, like, moved past it so quickly, I felt like he had earned that because he had become – the character had become, like, a, 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 a quiet mentor and ally of Diane. And no matter what her problems with everyone else in the, in the show, the character. Like, you know, just how isolated she felt and like how mean Carla was to her and her problems with Sam. Like, coach was always there for her. So that was a nice little moment they had. But I just think the whole scene just kind of typified how they were really they really loved each other. And this was a relationship that had it been fits and starts, but it had really grown. So to go from screaming and then just kind of smiling at what a bonehead he was, it was it was very nice.
1: Yeah. At the end of the last season, when with Sam's whole decision to go and break up the wedding, I I think I was making the case that Sam might not want to be her husband, but he knew that she didn't want to be Frasier's wife. Like he ultimately because when when Fraser asked her to marry him, her first instinct was to call Sam. And I think Sam yeah. picked up on it and Sam knew she doesn't want to marry him. She'll be settling for him. She'll never be happy and it'll be terrible. And I'm the only one who can stop her. I have to confront her with that. Whether or not that means they end up together or not. I think, I think because he did love her and he was very protective, he just knew that she was making a mistake and that's where she was going. There, that's why he went. Um, I'm not sure if the writing in this episode really justifies all of that because he does kind of say, you know, when he tells her he's like, you know, I, I wasn't going to tell you this but I did make this grand gesture uh, I did fly out there to try and and maybe at the time I thought that I was in love with you and that we should be married. He's like, not that I think that now- way now. Yeah. <laughs> he's like very quick to clarify that. He's like, I'm not asking you back for this reason. I, I-, I don't know, but I-, I think you're I think you're right that they are in love but no, they shouldn't be and whether that's How much they're able to repress that or deny that is going to be a battle for next two seasons or so. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah. I I do think it's for for whatever reason. I mean, there's a sense that she, if she's going to stay in the show, she has to be at Cheers. He asks her back maybe because it's a safe place for her. It's a it's It's a a safe place for him too, though. Yeah,
0: it's a safe place for him too. I mean, there's still this element of. Even though I, as a viewer, um, and someone invested in the character, I'm not necessarily, like, afraid that Sam would fall off the wagon like he did last time, um, you know, a year ago in this series. But, like, you do sense that, like, it's for her because she's also become part of the ensemble that he cares about, but it's also for him.
1: yeah uh and then once he leaves we uh we get the only other guest actress uh Sister Marie played by Lois DeBonzi, who's actually been in Cheers before she was in a, a first season episode where she uh, was just a patron that Diane was serving when she asked for like a boiler maker um But uh, she she comes in and because Diane said that the rice inspector was there and everything and she has to like see through that and I love Diane is she's like you don't need to explain and Diane's like I feel I must and she's like all right she you can kind of see that Diane has already you know. As much as Carla and the boys like Diana, cheers. She probably has the same reputation in this convent. Yeah, she's left her unique imprint on yeah. uh, the sisters. Yeah. And not hasn't gotten any better at cooking apparently than when she was dating Sam, because she makes a special like, recipe or something. And and when the when the sister takes a sip of it, like can barely get it down. And and when Diana's asking for advice, she's like, "Put your faith in God. I know I'm going to." <laughs>
0: Just like a wonderful, just a wonderful waiting on the beat and like a, a extra, masterful exercise in comic timing with that line. Yeah,
1: and we end with Diane getting on her knees to to what, scrub the floor and then praying to God, and, you know, actually acknowledging she hasn't done this for a long time, uh, and just asking for some kind of clear sign for what to do, where to take her life, and it's like two long beats, and then Sam walks back in looking for a <laughs> men's <breath. laughs> It's like some? <laughs> uh, she she actually asked, she's like, would you put a men's room in a woman's convent? And he goes, right now I would. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just just perfect, and just a throwback to like their very unique chemistry and like the very very distinctive way like he can grate on her and yet like amuse her and turn her on like all at once.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that is the sign that's where we leave it so um, yeah that was the that was the fourth season premiere Birth, Death, Love and Rice Uh, for Norm's tab I gave him credit for four beers in this episode um it might have to be an asterisk with them because i think one of them was a mistake in the filming because there's like a full beer on the on the bar when he goes and meets woody for the first time and then in the next shot it's gone um because woody's gonna serve him something but i'm giving him credit for that one anyway so he has 290 for the series so far not bad yeah uh all right for the other superlative categories for the employee of the week who did you have who was your star so honestly, for
0: a lot of these like emotional showcasey, plot heavy um, episodes, uh, I always default to Shelley Long. But and, and technically speaking, I would still. But I have to just say it's got to be Woody Harrelson. This is an impossible situation in many ways that the actors did, like stepping into, and the character is so fully formed in a lot of ways, yet you still see room to grow. I can very easily buy Woody Boyd being a member of this crew and getting into many, many adventures uh, alongside with them, And just for the moment, he walked in and he was just like, this is amazing. And then leaps the bar. I mean, like I I, and he, you know, goes on the soliloquy about like how he can make any kind of drink. And then he's just like uh, complies with their request to get him a beer. It's just like, yeah, this is this guy is compliant and goofy and he's going to
1: be great. He was my runner-up, and I think that was a great pick. Um, I actually gave it for this episode to Fraser. Um I think Fraser's only okay. there for, like, four minutes. But, like every single part, of it. and it would be so easy to forget about him, because we're getting Sam and Diane's reunion, and we're getting the introduction of Woody and everything, but Frasier just comes in, and it's like, oh yeah, this is still a thing, this is still, and we need to remember that, even though, you know, like, he had an arc, basically, like, they, they brought him into season three to say, this is going to be the thing that's keeping Sam and Diane apart, and yeah. by the end of season three, that's resolved, where we, it's like, they were, they he took her to the altar, and they were going to get married, and <laughs> Apparently, as he describes to Sam, the, the, he's like the the uh, priest said, "Do you take this woman?" And He's like, "I said I do." She. He asked the same question of Diane. She looked around, and said, "Who me?" <laughs> and, and then she was out. There. Um. So, I mean, that he took her as far as he could go, and then she leaves. So that. In any other show, that would have been the last we see of Frazier. There was no reason to bring him back. But they did bring him back wisely because he's such a special performer and such a special character. And just like his few little scenes just to remind us that this guy is, he has become an important part of this bar and the lore of Cheers. And even as a rival and a a physical threat to Sam, he's still a really good friend and they love each other. He, He leaves saying, let's do the lunch thing. Um, oh, and beautiful. It's, yeah. So I so I give it to Frazier for this one. It's a real pickem, and we mm-hmm. didn't even get.
0: You know, we 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 just glanced over Ted Danson, who I think does some of his best comedic work in this episode, mm-hmm. particularly in that teaser. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's you know you know Sam is capable of a lot, and you know Ted Danson is capable of a lot because he really is a masterful actor. But that is just a side of Sam. He just sort of like. Like, you pushed him to the line, just exasperated and and just, you know, full of rage, but also really funny and playful in a way. Um, You know, again, we, we, we take him for granted. We take his talents for granted. We take the character for granted a lot of the time. But, like, you could easily make the case for Sam, for Diane, for Fraser, and for Woody.
1: Uh, so for the home run of this episode, the funniest gag or something, um, I, the, the thing that has always stuck with me, and it's something like in, in my family, we're like, we'll, we'll use this joke for – Like there there aren't a whole lot of times when we can, but we find reasons to use this line. But it's when Sam points out the little holes are empty, that the gun isn't loaded. He's like, it's like yeah, that gun's not loaded. It's like, how do you know? It's like, because the little holes are empty. I just – I always love that. I always think about that moment that
0: that that was that would be my runner up pen pals for me pen pals is just perfect <laughs> like it's just yeah it's it just quintessential coach and quintessential woody in the way he ta- in the way he explains it and quintessential sam in the way he's just like what oh coach's idea got it yeah
1: all right. Well, that is uh, that is Cheers season four. We're kicking it off and looking to get uh, to go from here. Uh, Omar, I want to thank you again for being my guest on the show. Always love talking to you about this stuff. Thank you for having me, and thank you have, for having me, especially on
0: what I really think is a is a highlight showcase episode um, and a pivotal one in terms of like plot and introduction of characters. It's just it's really lovely to. Uh, to be talking about it with you and it's really lovely to uh, embark on on a whole new season and i think is which is one of
1: the series best very cool very cool all right thanks to all of you out there who listen to cheers cast and support the show by liking and sharing on facebook favoriting and retweeting on twitter and leaving a comment on the website which you can find fire You can also support the Fire & Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Rick from Jeff & Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, who sponsors this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire & Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. The story of my humiliation spread like wildfire through the university, and then to the entire Italian countryside.
0: Everyone knew about it. Everyone knew about my shame. No, you must have been imagining.
1: Oh, was I? Do you know that in soccer, when a player kicks at the ball, misses, and falls down, it's now called a (laughs) Frasier?
0: That could be a coincidence. If he's knocked cold, it's called a Frasier (laughs) Crane.